2: With your Amex card, entertainment benefits like special ticket access and pre-sales to select campus events while supplies last, make every tap music to your ears.
1: The 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well known to Americans. And yet, there's complexity at every turn. Criminal trials for one of those candidates. Young voters who are angry. The campaign moment podcast from the Washington Post gives you what matters.
2: Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything.
0: This is Straight Fire with Jason McIntyre.
3: What is up, Straight Fire fam? It's me, Jason McIntyre. Straight Fire for Wednesday, October 5th. Surprisingly, really strong night in the sports world. Don't know how many of you are watching, but Aaron Judge hit number 62. Boom, the new AL record holder for home runs. I have some thoughts on that in a moment. And the big um, 2023 NBA draft preview, Scoot Henderson versus Big Vic Wembenyama was on ESPN2 last night. I don't know if anybody watched it. Obviously, if you were on social media, you saw all the clips floating around. And you definitely tuned in. That was something to behold. Those two kids can go. 2023 NBA draft is lit. I'll talk about that in a moment. But uh, first, I got to tease our guest. This guy works with me at Fox. He put on the U.S. national team. In 2010, they went to the World Cup, got to the knockout rounds, lost to Ghana. Stuart Holden. He is traveling to Qatar to cover the World Cup for Fox Sports. He's going to be calling the U.S. games. It's... Listen, it's getting close to go time. We're inside 50 days to the World Cup. USA missed 2018 World Cup. You know I'm a soccer fan. I own uh, a minority stake in a team in Mexico, Nacoxa. They have a uh, postseason game coming up this weekend. I'm a soccer guy. I grew up playing soccer. Both my kids play soccer. My son played club for a year. Like, I love soccer. So me and Stu Holden chop up the U.S. national team, the World Cup chances. We'll touch on the MLS and Liga MX. We'll touch on... The greater World Cup, yes, there's some English uh, discussion. Obviously, they're loaded and in good shape to win their first World Cup in forever. I think you're going to love the interview. But real quick, first, Aaron Judge, let's get this out of the way. I'm a Yankee fan, so I'm very excited and happy for Judge. He had a bomb, 62. He's got the record. Top Maris. I get all that. I started thinking about it, and I'm like, boy, the media sure is making a massive deal. Like, enormous about a guy who just has an AL home run record. And then I looked, who are the single-season home run leaders in MLB history? Barry Bonds hit 73. And I think everybody thinks he was using some substance that was illegal in the sport at the time. Mark McGuire hit 70. Same deal with Bonds. Sammy Sosa hit 66. Same. McGuire hit 65. Sosa hit 64. Sosa hit 63. All those top six seasons... We're in a three-year span, 99 to 2001, the height of the Balco era. If you're too young to remember it, ask your older brother, or you could just Google steroids and baseball, and all those guys' names will come up. But it is weird that baseball—I mean, I think it's smart what baseball is doing. They're pushing Judge and this storyline big time. They want it out there. He is the new AL home run king. What's understated here is there's no mention at all anywhere of Bonds or Maguire or Sosa. Nobody's bringing them up. It's all Aaron Judge, Roger Maris. And like the undercurrent is this guy's clean. We think Maris was clean. Uh, Who knows? And this is something that baseball needs to wrap its arms around and embrace. And I don't disagree with that. I just think it's a little funny that when baseball embraced Bonds, Maguire, Sosa, when they were all juicing and it was obvious because they turned into guys who look like superheroes. They look like cartoon characters. They were so juiced, right? I mean, Barry Bonds like lost his neck in the span of five years because he was doing so many uh, illegal substances. I'm not faulting those guys. Would I have done the same? I don't know, uh, you know, would you cheat to get an athletic enhancement and then set records and make millions and millions of dollars that they can't take away from you? Well, as we have seen in baseball, a lot of people are willing to do that. And I'm sure the same as in football and basketball. If you could take something, some drug to give you an edge and it's not going to harm your body, I think a lot of people would do it. The problem is a lot of the stuff those guys were doing did harm your body. Um, So Aaron Judge is now the clean home run champ. I don't know how far baseball is going to take this. Obviously, Judge and the Yankees going into the postseason. It's going to be exciting. I think every judge at bat in the postseason is going to be must-see because of what he just did. I think we'll see an uptick in the baseball ratings. This should be a really good postseason, strong teams. Um, I'm excited. Let's go to basketball. And... I'm sure there's some people on here who are like, Scoot Henderson, Jay, really? You're going to spend time on Big Vic Wenbanyama? I think I'm saying that right. I just want to remind you guys, we had a guest on, a couple guests, around the NBA draft. I think Matt Babcock, Fran Fraschilla. And the name that Scoot Henderson instantly elicits when you watch him, his handle is ridiculous. He finished at the rim. He's 6'2". He finished over Big Vic, who's 7'5", and has... A pretty nice handle himself. He can play on the perimeter. He splashes threes like Kevin Durant. He's as fluid as and this one's really gonna age me. Ralph Sampson, former UVA legend who played with the Houston Rockets. He hit a shot to knock the Lakers out of the playoffs back in the day. He had injuries derail his career, as is the case with a lot of skinny, tall seven footers. It just it happens. And when Banyama looks, I mean, as good as, if not better than like all those guys. I mean, he's the modern. Ralph Sampson was not pulling up for three. Okay. He is. And I'm not overhyping one Yonyama. You got to watch him. He's 7 5, fluid as hell, steals the ball, quick. I mean, he is just. He's really good. Like Chet Holmgren meets Kevin Durant meets Kristaps Porzingis. You know, all those blended together. And this guy is. I mean, he is insane. That being said, Scoot Henderson, of course, stole the show because he hit a bunch of threes. He finished at the rim over Vic. He is, in my eyes, he is the second coming of Derrick Rose. And you guys remember how electrifying Rose was. Won an MVP, um, took down – he he won the MVP the first year, I believe, LeBron went to the Heat. And if you remember, they won game one against LeBron's Heat. Everybody's like, oh, D. Rose, they might win this series. And then LeBron was like, I got this. LeBron guarded Derrick Rose, shut him down. Bulls done. Um, Rose, of course, his career was derailed by multiple ACL injuries. And, you know, that's what sucks. Like, Derrick Rose is a great, great, great what might have been. He's probably going to be, you know, if you really want to look at it, he's probably going to be the only NBA MVP, like, not to make the Hall of Fame, simply because of injuries. But that's how good he was. I think he won MVP at 22. And this kid, Scoot Henderson, looks like him. I mean, you would go look up his YouTube videos. This guy's Just electric. He just bounces out of the gym. At any rate, yes, I got smitten with some midweek basketball. All right, without further ado, let's get to our guest, Stuart Holden, former U.S. national team midfielder.
0: You know a guy. Jason likes to think he knows everything when it comes to sports.
3: I know what sports fans want,
0: but for everything he doesn't, he knows a guy who does. Let's just say,
1: I know a guy who knows a guy. Knows another guy.
3: Okay, let's welcome into Straight Fire a guy who you know from U.S. soccer, pretty much a legend, uh, played internationally in Europe and now calls games, calls U.S. Uh, national team games. He will be in Qatar for the World Cup working for Fox Sports. Stuart Holden. Stu, how you doing, man?
4: Jason, what's up? I'm uh, I'm ready to I'm excited to talk some soccer with you, man. Yeah, I'm so fired up. I mean, listen, uh last week was not
3: great for the US national team. I won't even mention the Japan debacle, which the coach admitted, Burhalter, was a debacle. But I I I know your guy Alexi Lalas, who I also see around Fox. He loves to talk about this, but like the state of the union. We're less than 50 days to the World Cup. And Part of us, like part of us, are excited just because we're in the World Cup as opposed to 2018, you know, which was really bad. Um, but also, there's a large segment that's just unhappy with Burhalter, thinks we have no chance. I don't know. Where do you stand? Less than 50 days to the U.S. in the World Cup.
4: Oh man, that's a loaded question. Yes. Number one, right out of the gates, because. Yeah. Look, I mean, I think the reality is uh, when it comes to soccer in the United States and how much it has grown, uh, we still fully understand that the biggest stage and the biggest platform we have is the World Cup, and – It's your opportunity as a U.S. soccer player and fan and whatever, to bring people into our nest for a month of what we do and what we live And It was such a blow four years ago to not have the U.S. in Russia. And it was my first World Cup as a broadcaster, and it just didn't feel the same. So, look, we're back in the World Cup. That was the number one mission of Greg Berhalter when he took over four years ago of getting this team back to where we belong. And that doesn't mean, though, now – that we're at the world cup that the feeling should be, if you're a fan right now and you're listening, well, the U S are back. Like we're just at a world cup. No, like it has always been the the baseline expectation that we should be there. Yeah. Now being there, it it has always been look to, to judge the tournament as a success. It's to get out of the group stage. That's what we all feel uh, and expect from this team. So look, Greg, Greg Berhalter, I would say has done a really good job over the past couple of years of winning and, winning tournaments and what he has done is he won the gold cup, uh, with an A team right. and a B team. Uh, he beat he's beaten Mexico three or almost four times in the last calendar year, mm-hmm. uh, going back to, to, to 2021. So now comes the real test though for, for Berhalter and these players. Cause what he did was he committed to a young group, a very young group. We're the youngest average age of any team that qualified for the world cup. And that's not even close by the way, that's a couple of years, uh, difference. Greg Berhalter, this will be his first World Cup Mm -hmm. as a coach. And what has been the challenging part, and I think you try to think about Markey wins in his tenure. With COVID and the way that the schedule really changed and the way that uh, qualifying got changed for the U.S. to qualify for the World Cup, he hasn't had an opportunity, and this team has an opportunity to play big-name European teams, teams from Europe, teams from South America. So really our sample size of what we've been judging this team on has been against CONCACAF opponents, countries that we should win and countries that, you know, we should beat pretty handily, quite frankly. So now like, you know, when I'm trying to contextualize the, the game against Saudi Arabia last week and the game against Japan and the game against Uruguay and the game against Morocco, Morocco, we beat 3-0. you know, against teams that are going to the world cup. I think we've only scored one goal against <laughs> eight in our last eight matches uh-huh. of teams that are going to the world cup. So like that, that part for me is where, you know, Judging Berhalter, this is where we're going to really find out how good of a coach he is because uh, you know, he put his hand up. I, I would say that I think some of his lineup selection, personnel selection, uh, some of the tactics that he's employed in some of those games and just being so steadfast on committing to like this is what we're going to do without having some flexibility has not been good. But I, I still maintain a belief that that he could get this team to perform at a World Cup. And it, it's hard to, to really convey that opinion amongst all the shouting and yelling that's going on right now, because these last two games, Jason, and if you're just kind of a fan that's tuning in and you've seen that, hey, the U.S. are back at a World Cup, like, how are we going to do? These last two games have given us a moment and a, and a pause for kind of a, a reflection of like, hey, this might be a lot harder than we, than we thought it was yeah. going to be based on the kind of the talent that we have right now. I,
3: I love the swings of USA soccer fans because you're right. A lot of them watch whether it's the Premier League or leagues hmm. around the world, and then you know they, they just tune into the U.S. national team for the big games. And then you tune in, and they're like smashing Grenada or whatever. And, and then you tune into a game getting close to the World Cup, and it's like, I thought they played great for the first 30 minutes against the Saudis, had multiple chances, but didn't convert me. Yeah. And then you're like, Oh gosh, this is zero zero. Really against a team that's not really considered very good. I I don't. Does anybody think the Saudis are getting out of their group at the Cup?
4: No chance. I mean, they're in with Argentina, Mexico. Yeah, Poland, none. So, you know, they're going to be last place for sure.
3: So, so do you? Is it, it's not really fair for the fans to pile on, but like this is what we do, right? In, in the NFL, um, you know, it's a week to week thing. In the NBA, you lose three straight. It's oh my gosh, the sky's falling. In baseball, the Mets get destroyed over the weekend. It's like well, forget their postseason. You know, it's like three games out of a million. But you look at soccer, and there just aren't many opportunities, Stu. And it's like yeah. uh, I, I'm, I'm a little nervous for Berhalter because, as you said, this is one of the youngest teams. But I, I know nobody's going to want to hear this. Are they looking at, hey, let's get our young guys some reps at the World Cup. If we get out of the stage, great. If not, it's okay. 2026
4: is the goal. It's on, it's on our turf, right? That's, like that, that's, that's not, a, that's not the first time I've heard that by the way, yes, like it, 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 and, and they've been careful and shied away from like, just calling this a Hey, we're world cup of getting experience because we all know 26 is going to be the biggest world cup in the history of the world cups. Like yeah. there will not be from a commercial attendance, you know, a uh, global standpoint It's going to be the first world cup. We have 48 teams. So, like, the platform and the stage is not bigger and it's here in the United States for the first time since 94. Like, that, that's the one that you need to 100% uh, put on a show. So, the, the challenge for Burhalter here is that the the individuals that we have, I mean, we have players now at some of the biggest clubs in the world. We have mm-hmm. guys at Chelsea. We have guys at Borussia Dormant, Barcelona, AC Milan, like, big, big clubs. And these guys are playing and getting minutes and, and contributing. So, what that's done is it's raised the expectations of the team. Mm-hmm. The problem that we've had, I think, is being able to A have all these guys healthy. I mean, Polisic has been continually injured. Gio Reyna has been injured a lot. So we've never really had the the best group of guys all together building up. That's that's not Burhalter's fault. That's mm. you know that's like the the part where you're like how how much can these guys match up to their potential from what we know that they're capable of. And then the second part, which is Burhalter's job, is to get the best out of the collective. A national team job's uh, national team coach's job is not to coach up players. It's to put the best group of players together and make them play the best. So, you know, you're maybe leaving off a guy who's being sacrificed because you feel this guy feels better in this system. And that's where I think Berhalter is getting a lot of heat uh, because it's like, well, you know, you've got to find the best Uh, recipe of all these different ingredients and put them all together in a way that, you know, cooking reference of like making it taste good and making it something that you want to eat. And right now we're we're missing some of those key ingredients he's trying to make and mix and match and things that aren't just working. And ultimately, I think we go into this first game against Wales on November 21st with more questions right now than answers, which to me is a concern. We don't know who our center, uh, one of our center backs is going to be. We don't know who our starting striker is going to be. We still don't know who who our goalkeeper is going to be. Like, those are three main positions right down your spine. And, you know, I couldn't tell you who's going to start in those positions on Game 1 of the World Cup.
0: Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere, like at your pregame barbecue. While you prep your meats, that grease trap you forgot to empty is prepping to smoke your porch, garage, and the car inside. And without the right home and auto insurance coverage,
1: Go to TireRack.com slash Colin to see their Vredestein test results, tire ratings, and consumer reviews, and be sure to check out all their current special offers. Great tires, great deal. What more could you ask for? That's TireRack.com slash Colin. TireRack.com, the way tire buying should be.
2: The best conversations I have with my colleagues are the ones that happen when no one is looking, when we're not 100% sure yet what to write.
1: Hopefully, having conversations like this can help you figure out your own point of view. That's kind of our job as Washington Post opinions columnists. I'm Charles Lane, deputy opinion editor.
2: And I'm Amanda Ripley, a contributing columnist. We're going to bring you into these conversations on a new podcast called Impromptu.
1: Follow Impromptu now,
2: wherever you listen. There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American
0: Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. What's up? I'm John Wall. And I'm CJ Toledana, and we're starting a new podcast presented by DraftKings called Point Game.
1: Fox Sports Radio has the best sports talk lineup in the nation. Catch all of our shows at foxsportsradio.com. And within the iHeartRadio app, search FSR to listen live.
3: You went to the World Cup with the U.S. national team, right? So 2010, talk us through what's going to happen at the camp when the U.S. convenes, all the players get together. What what goes down there in terms of settling on, on the core starting lineup and all that fun yeah. stuff?
4: You know, that, that six-week six period for me in 2010, and I have a poster, I know you can't see it uh, of, if you're listening to this, but uh, of that World Cup, because that really and truly was like one of the best six-week periods of my entire life. Um, I bet. It, You know, like you 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 achieve something that you dreamed of as a kid. You, you're working with 23 guys continually towards something. We had the payoff of getting out of the group and, you know, uh, living that that uh, that, that moment, the land and goal and experiencing that in the last second to, to advance. And so for these guys, I think 20, It's going to be a 26 man roster, 25 to 26 will never have played in a world cup before. Uh, it's very different in that we had a, a couple of weeks ramp up to the world cup. Well, this year, because the world cups moved to the winter and it's in Qatar, these guys will be finishing their club, like a pause in the season, Mm -hmm. seven days before the first game of the world cup. So they're going to fly straight into camp, have four days of practice, try to switch gears into like, Hey, we're at a world cup now and play their first game. So that part's going to be very different. And I can't wait, hold
3: on, on, Stu. let me ask, do you think that aspect of it, this whole four days of practice, geez, I was expecting weeks, Uh, four days. Do you think that that will impact how he decides the
4: roster? I absolutely do because you, okay. you're, you, I mean, some of these guys are going to be coming straight off of playing a game on the Sunday. And then the next Sunday, they'll be playing for the United States. Injuries become a thing, fatigue, how many minutes have they played in the lead up to that? And so that's why, that's why I'm saying, I don't think even Greg Burhalter right now could tell you tell you his 100% starting 11 for that game because there's still so much time. And then there's so little time that he's going to have guys, in camp, and even the first two days of that, whatever four or five days of training, are going to be evaluating mm. players to see, you know, who's ready, who's healthy, who can go from the the first whistle there.
3: All right, let me ask a player, and you you'll just say whether or not you think they're going to make it, and okay. then maybe whether you'd pick Is, this, is uh, this make it on the roster or make it in the lineup? I, I, let's just say roster to to travel to the World. Okay, uh, he seems to be divisive, but he's only nineteen. I like the upside, Ricardo Pepe.
4: Oh, man. It's a tough one, man. I know. So it's a tough one. I, you know, Jesus Ferreira is going to go to the World Cup for oh. sure. And the number nine. I think you're probably looking at Josh Sargent. And I think that third striker becomes either it's Pepe or this guy, Jordan Pifok, who's playing in Germany and is just racking up the goals. And he's the most controversial pick that was left off from this last roster. So, look, Greg knows Pepe. He likes Pepe. Pepe scored again at the weekend in Holland. Now he's playing at a lower level and scoring. So I think that Pepe goes. Uh, I would personally take PFOC over Pepe, but wow. I, I think that Pepe goes to the World Cup. Yeah. So
3: why do? You, why would you? So how many forwards are you expecting to bring? Just forward? I think
4: three, three, three. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Three really? forwards because we're we're gonna have a, a bigger roster than we've ever had at a World Cup, and I think the players that are more interchangeable are the wide players, and that's where you're right. gonna see deeper rosters on those. And like by the way, in a push. We could stick Tim Way up front. We could stick Polisic up front. We could put different yeah. type of players. But yeah, I I think Pepe ends up going.
3: Okay, uh, let's. You mentioned Geo Geo Reyna. He he's going to turn twenty. I think like a week before the World Cup, the injuries are just it's brutal. It's devastating for this guy who's super talented. Everybody knows his his dad.
4: Um, what, what do you think? I hope he goes. Uh, mm. And and look, the, the, again, that's one I can't predict. If he's healthy, he's on the roster, one hundred percent. Not Question: Maybe starting, probably coming off the bench. But Gio uh, got injured again in the last US game. He's it's announced that he's only out for a week, so he should be back in the next game or two. But like, that's the other part of the conversation. Jason is like, th- this World Cup is the group stage is over in a week. So, like, you know, if if you're uh, not able to stay even healthy for a week do you bring a guy and thinking like he might get there? What can he give us off the bench? But if he's even like able to give you something off the bench, you bring him, and uh, he's on the roster. So out of, out of, uh, you know, trying to have some good juju, I'm going to go ahead and say like he's going to the world cup because I'm, I'm like shaking my like uh, rain stick and hoping that he's healthy. (laughs) Yes.
3: I, I I'm with you. I really hope he goes. Um, Your best guess at the starting keeper, it sounds like it's between Turner and Horvath or is there a dark horse?
4: Well, Zach Steffen is the other one, but he's been injured. I think he's Berhalter's guy. I think Berhalter would like him to be the starter. I would, if I was the coach, I would have Matt Turner as the keeper. I think at the end of the day, like he's not as good with his feet as Steffen, but what's, if you're just a normal sports fan, I think you know what the most important part of being a goalkeeper is, right? It's keeping the ball in the net. And yeah. <laughs> Turner is a great shot stopper. You know, I don't care if he's going to miss a couple of passes here and there. Like, I want a guy in the nets, if I'm a defender, a midfielder, that I know is going to come up with some big saves. And I think he does that, and he's dependable, and I think he should be our starting keeper. Um, do you In your relationship with burhalter I don't know, did you ever play with him? Uh, I played against him actually at the end of okay. his career. He's with Galaxy. Yeah,
3: I'm just curious. What what kind of guy is he as opposed to Klinsman? And I'm trying to get an idea when you when you, when I'm shaping the roster. Can I read anything from Berhalter's past or the type of kind of guy he is? So
4: so Greg as a player was the like in a center back, uh, defender, yep. very intense, very like raw raw in the locker room, very motivational, very you know, on guys, uh, and, 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 and kept a very high standard. He's the same as a coach. He's very, he's meticulous. He's disciplined. He works uh, at all hours of watching tape. And I think maybe sometimes too much and Mm overanalyzing, uh, things, but I would say what he's been able to do is connect really well with this group of young players and shown a flexibility and kind of, you know, taking the, taking the break off a little bit, and allowing these guys to, to mature and show personality and, and also trusting a young group. So, I I think also at the end of the day, he's loyal. I think he knows guys that um, ultimately he thinks will give him what he wants and feel is best out of the collective as opposed to maybe, you know, a guy that is a total wild card but could kind of produce you something out of nothing. I think he wants dependable assets. And let me ask you, when you're, you know, I I know you had that injury
3: before 2010 and and, uh, the World Cup, but you still made the team. When you, like, go there – Is it more of a bonding or is it competitive because everybody obviously wants to play at the world cup? What's like the vibe and and, and the energy going in?
4: It's a really good question. Cause uh, I got injured uh, two months or two and a half months before the world cup. And I I was hoping and would have been, I think uh, I'm going to pretend I was anyways, a starter in that team. And (laughs) I got back for my first game the week before the world cup camp started. So I went into that camp thinking like, I still got to, make the team here. I got to prove yeah. that I'm fit. I got to battle with guys and it's a really respectful, but it's a very intense environment. And I, I think I, I might, was it the Jordan, one of the dream team clips, like uh, that came out uh, long after the fact that they, they showed like those guys getting in fights before going to the Olympics. Mm, that's right. Um, yeah. The dream team, Jordan was it, and Magic yeah.
3: and Barkley. Yeah, 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 exactly.
4: Yeah. And I love that clip because it was very similar to, I think, what we experienced where uh, you know, fitness, you're doing sessions of just pure running. You're doing sessions in the afternoon. You're doing double days. But all the while, you kind of know like the main guys that are going and then you kind of know the guys that are all competing and battling for spots. And it was like, hey, man, I love you. But as soon as we cross that white line, like, I'm not going to hesitate to stick a tackle on you and show that, like, I need to do everything I need to do to be on that team. And so it practices got heated. There was yelling, there was shouting, there was pushing matches. And I think that's what the coaches ultimately want because they want to know that guys are, are dialed in. They want to know how much it means to you to be a part of that. And um, I think that's ultimately still going back to those last two games and why I think potentially they were also so flat is because guys are nervous. I mean, these are guys that are on the cusp of living out their dream, going to a world cup and they're all of a sudden playing a friendly in front of no fans in Saudi Arabia. And they're like, shit. I don't want to make a mistake. I I don't want to, I don't want to do anything that's going to cost me my job, at a World Cup. And yeah, that that's one of my biggest questions for this team is like, when you roll out, you're singing the national anthem, you're on the world's biggest stage in front of the biggest audience you've ever played in in front of your life. Like, what are you going to do in that moment? Are you going to turn up, or are you just going to kind of crumble and and let the stage get the most of you and. Yeah. Uh, we're gonna find out about five minutes into that Wales game on the on the twenty first, and I hope so, it's the the latter.
3: <laughs> yeah, I I asked about Burhalter and then like the tenacity because I I keep thinking about Pepe, and I don't know. Listen, I, I don't, you don't want to read body language, but that game against Saudi Arabia, I didn't see the fire from him. You know, he's like a fringe guy to make it, and I, I'm just it, he was like almost invisible. And I, I, again, I. I hope Burhalter takes him, but I didn't see in that performance. I know it's a small sample size, but again, we're down to the crunch time. I didn't see that fire in the desire, Like I want it. I need it. I'm going to go grab it. Whatever it takes. It's mine. I don't know. Did I? Yeah. Uh, is that a bad thing? No, you're right. You're right.
4: And, and I wouldn't say it was just him. I, I think it was a number of guys there, but you know, Clint Dempsey who is will be with us now in Qatar yeah. for the world cup. He said a couple of times and it's kind of, it, it, you know, he said, I, I want to see that you got the dog in you. He says, I want to see the dog. Cause that was him as a player. Like he's a guy that scrapped for everything uh, out there and did everything he could. I I've seen a puppy from some of these guys so far, you know, I haven't seen, I haven't seen a dog clawing and showing like that, you know, that I don't give a, you know, what, of like mm-hmm. I'm going to go out there and I'm going to win this game. I'm going to scrap for absolutely everything. And I, I, I hope that's what we we see out of this group because I think at a core that's where we're at our best. When we're just tough to beat, we're we're gonna we're gonna get a team knows when they line up against us. Hey, we might be more talented if you're at Germany, Spain, Brazil. But like, man, we're in for it today. These these guys are not gonna give us an inch and they're gonna scrap and try to get everything they can out of here. So yeah, like the a lot of these guys, it's gonna come down to are they playing? Are they scoring? Are they coming in with confidence? Are there is their chest? puffed high, like, is their mentality good? And that's going to now come what they do for their clubs the next couple of weeks, and I think that's what will tilt these decisions one way or another.
3: So, you were on that 2010 team. I'm looking at the roster that went to the World Cup, got out of the group stage, had the tough loss, I think, to Ghana. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and guess, Clint Dempsey had the dog in him, right? Texas kid. <laughs> yeah. he, he was a beast. I know Landon Donovan had the dog in him.
4: Yep. Um, I, mean, I would say DeMarcus... I mean, Michael Bradley, DeMarcus Michael Bradley, Beasley, um, yeah, yeah. Gucci on Yewu, Bocanegra. I... I'm not, I, you know, I, I, I'm hesitant sometimes to like be a revisionist and say, well, our team was like this and this team is like this. But it, it, I think at a core, right? Like we we were not the most talented team at the World Cup. This team going will not be the most talented team as the World Cup. And I think there are certain traits in a, in traits in a tournament, uh, and especially during a knockout tournament when you get past the group stage, that, that helps you get far. And a lot of that is mentality. My favorite thing about this team, Jason, has been their swagger, this unapologetic of, like, we're young, we're experienced, we don't give a crap, and we're going to, like, we are who we are and we're carving out our own identity. But that's what I felt was missing the last two games, right? Like, you didn't see that when you watched Saudi Arabia and Japan, did you? No, man. It was disappointing.
3: No swagger at all. Now, you mentioned the word identity. I would say your team from 2010, I I remember, they were just tough. Now, they were a little more veteran, right? People were in more of the late 20s as opposed to, like, super young but what would you say in a word is the identity of the current team ooh cuz it's tough to say swagger when they haven't won anything yeah and uh, you know and,
4: and and they finished third in qualifying behind mexico and canada uh, and but like yeah i i think i i want to say fearless though like i i do okay. and i i i do feel that they are that way um and i i think they believe in themselves i i really do i i think that they They all know they're talented. I think when they get on the field, there's a certain feeling of camaraderie. And a lot of these guys played youth national teams together. And I Mm -hmm. I don't believe that they will be afraid of the moment. Now, we might be 3 0 down after 30 minutes. But come on. All right. I'm not going to
3: grill you for scouting reports on getting out of the group stage. (laughs) Wales, everybody knows they have one very good player. Uh, just glancing at the results, it, it seems like a definitely a winnable game for us.
4: It's a winnable game. And, and in fact, it's a must win game. I think if we're going yes. to, I think if we lose or even tie Wales, and then you go into England game, needing a Need point result, yeah. and, or then you get to the last game and you have to beat Iran or tie Iran and by Iran, Iran are no uh, schlubs, by the way, they're a pretty decent team and they have some good players as well. So that the group is met. England are the big favorites. I think we get out of the group. I think if we beat Wales, uh, you know, call it 1 0, 2 0 on the first game, then I will feel a lot better about our chances. <laughs> yeah. uh, but if we don't win that, we don't get out of the group. It's as simple as that. Like, I, I do think that first game is, is, is that important. I'll also say this about
3: England. Historically, when they've had massive expectations, as they have going in here, they have the fourth best odds. They, they went to the Euro 21 final. Like, when they have expectations, they usually let down a little bit. Right. Again, I don't know. Would you, I don't know. Is that statement? Yeah. I mean, Where they're just
4: always under immense pressure at all times. And the, the reality is they've had a coach who was overachieved, I think, but like they're an insanely ta- talented yeah, they're stacked team, but to get to a semi-final of a world cup and then follow that up with getting to the finals of the euros. And now, you know, there's like pressure building because they're saying, well, he mm-hmm. lost both of those games and he didn't win. Well, you know, to, to do that on a consistent basis, to be in the final four of of two major tournaments is a, is a huge ask. Yeah. But, in saying that, like there was st- mistakes that they made in those games and tactical and coaching, and uh, that that I think leaves them vulnerable. They were on a horrific run until they scored and tied Germany in the last uh, Nations League game, three three. They hadn't scored in from open play in over five hundred minutes. Yeah. Uh, they hadn't won a game in five games, and so like I was kind of hoping they'd get just shellacked by Germany, which they were at one point, and that they'd come into the tournament with no confidence. They actually looked really good in the second half of that game. And just a reminder that like this is a really good team. But I, I don't I, I don't see them making a deep run. I just don't. I, I just don't think that mm. uh, that they're gonna be able to handle that that pressure once again and the expectations of you know going as far as they have in two previous tournaments. And I think the US can give them a lot of trouble. I yeah. think they can really frustrate them.
0: All state wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere, like at your pregame barbecue, while you prep your meats. Check out Point Game with John Wall and C.J. Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, DraftKings YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts.
1: Fox Sports Radio has the best sports talk lineup in the nation. Catch all of our shows at foxsportsradio.com. And within the iHeartRadio app, search FSR to listen live.
3: What about the aspect of all these players on the England team? I mean, they're all over the Premier League. Like you said, the U.S. players will come in with like four days in camp. What about all those guys?
4: Same thing. Yeah, same thing. Those guys will have played, you know, 20-something games at that point coming in, six days rest, and same thing. We're going to have to play the, the first game. Well, their first game is against Iran, then they play the U.S. on Black Friday um, here in the United States. Well, in the United States, 12 Eastern, I, mm-hmm. I expect that to be one of the biggest soccer games ever on TV here. Oh, yeah. And um, it's – you know, I I can't wait for that one. That's the game I've picked out as like that game is just going to be next level. Because yeah, no, that, that's going to be no one of the stake.
3: best sporting events of the year, I think, yeah. without question. Like uh, Super Bowl-level stuff, uh, USA, England. Um, all right, qu- quickly overview, like state of the MLS. It's interesting. You know, your 2010 team had a lot of guys playing in Europe and around the globe, but you go back to like the 94 team with Lawless and company, and essentially the MLS was kind of founded on the 94 cup explosion. Would you agree with that?
4: Oh, absolutely. Yeah. It started in 95. Yeah.
3: So now here we are, what, 26 ish years later and the MLS is kind of thriving, but globally are they recognized you think as like a top 10 league in the world?
4: Yeah, I do. I I think uh, absolutely top 10. Um, The MLS was founded off the back of the 94 World Cup, a huge investment into soccer. I think I forget if it was eight or 10 teams that it started with. The league is closing in on announcing its 30th franchise um, and club, which is just incredible. I mean, even when I played in the league in 2006 to 10, I think there was 12 or 14 teams Um, These soccer specific stadiums we have, the amount of growth, the the weekly attendance, like everything is trending massively up. But now you're starting to, as your point, you're getting into conversation where you're compared then with the leagues in the Premier League, La Liga in Spain, German Bundesliga, Italian Serie A, widely known as the top four leagues in the world. Look, I think U.S. is right behind that uh, MLS now we're still not tra- attracting top, top, top level talent in their prime. Like we're still getting and talking about maybe getting Messi at 35, 36, Ronaldo at 36, 37, like, which those are guys you take, right? Those are guys that are, of course they transcend the game. They're as big as it, as it ever gets, but the amount of money that's invested, investing a lot in young stars, we're still, and you know this, cause I'm, I know on your podcast on, uh, on the show with Colin as well, like MLS is not talked about yet in mainstream sports television. And that's just the reality. Like it's, we're still trying to fight to not be a regional sport like baseball, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know baseball has a lot more history and still a lot bigger in terms of uh, American sports, but there's a lot of great storylines in MLS, I think for it to reach that tipping point. And I'm talking about like that real blow the top off through the roof type of moment for, for the league. It, you, you have to be, spending with the big, big boys and that's bringing in top, top level talent at the prime and having it across all different teams. And, you know, you know, we, we need, I think the Dallas Cowboys, the, the, the giants, the, Mm -hmm. you know, we need big marquee teams that people know when they're, they're playing. And I think LAFC is kind of trending that way, right? Like that team that when they're on, you know, you want to watch because they're interesting or, you know, they have stars. So that's, that to me is the next phase of the league. But in terms of uh, just, momentum and support at like a regional level. MLS, man, if you haven't been to an MLS game, uh, I I just urge you to go and experience one at Bank of California here in Los Angeles oh, yeah. or up in the Pacific Northwest with Seattle and Portland. Cause it's a, it's an experience that wraps you in, man. It, it helps you fall in love with our game. Yeah,
3: certainly. Well, well I bring that up because you know, we mentioned earlier the 2026 World Cup is North America and and I think some a bunch of games are in Central and South America, maybe Mexico. Um or no wait, maybe it's just Mexico and and the United States and Canada. Um but there's been talks of MLS can they take the next step maybe merging with Liga MX, the the top league in Mexico and I I'm part of an ownership group on in a team there. As you're an ownership group in a team in Spain, correct? And yeah, Mallorca, yeah. Right, right with uh with Nash, is it? Yeah, Stevie Nash. Yes, yeah. yes, yes. Um, We won't talk about the Brooklyn Nets and all that fun stuff. But, uh, <laughs> you know, I I wonder, do you think that would, would help if they peg it to, hey, we're uh, Liga MX, which is like 17 teams, plus MLS, around 30 teams, getting a, approaching 30. If we join forces, then maybe we crack that top five because we get the power of the American brands plus the audience from Mexico. And... Boom, now we are a super league of sorts? Do you yeah, do so you,
4: you I mean, you would this. know this because you're involved with uh, Nicaxa. the uh, League MX in the United States is the number one watched mm-hmm. uh, league. and and that's obviously including Spanish language um, as, as well as, you know, in English. but, the the huge majority of that is in Spanish language television and it's it's not even close like premier league in english language is the top and that's by a pretty long shot compared to you know other uh, dom- uh, leagues on a consistent basis but to reach that next point i think we all understand and feel that like a, a merger of some sorts right like i still don't officially know what that's going to look like we're certainly getting going to get a look at that next year with the League's Cup, and I think that is MLS's and Liga MX's hope of starting to really bridge that gap and seeing, uh, you know, how that tournament goes. It's going to be in the United States. It's going to be games between Liga MX teams and MLS teams, and it's going to be in a real competitive uh, format with money at stake, knockout type situation, and giving it a feel. I think that feels bigger than like, hey, here comes Nakaxa, here comes Atlas, here comes America, and they're going to sell out one game, but nobody's going to really play. And it's like a throwaway game. No, like this. This is gonna attempt to, and I, I hope it does feel real because you're gonna see some real momentum around that. And what I think eventually happens is that you're gonna have your American League and National League like baseball, mm. and you're gonna play a couple interleague games over the course of the year. But like West Coast base down Mexico, West Coast in the United States, East Coast and East Coast in Mexico. And ultimately you play off for what will be your world series or super bowl or, or whatever. And that's the finalists from the AL and the final from the NL and they play off. I would love to see that eventually. I think that that's maybe the only way that it really happens between the two leagues. Uh, but we'll see, you know, I think that's a pipe dream, but I think commercially and, from that standpoint, that's like that's the billion dollar deal, you know. Beyond well, beyond billions, we're talking multi billions, and um, it would raise the game, and I think then give you the ability to, hey, uh, Neymar, Mbappe, uh, etc. You guys want to come play in the U.S.? Here, here's a we're gonna back the truck up for you. <laughs> yeah, I mean, listen,
3: Wayne Rooney, some of these guys who come over, uh, like everybody wants to see them, and and like you said, you get these regional pockets of intense fan fandom. And then you match it with, hey, you're playing a team from Mexico where this is everything to some of these teams in Mexico. I mean, the passion, I'm sure you've seen some of the negative stories uh, at some of these stadiums. It happens. You know, listen, it's not unlike the fights you see every weekend uh, at some of these NFL stadiums. Uh, But the passion of soccer, Stu, that's like totally underrated. And I think that's starting to grow in America. At least that's
4: how I feel. No, it is. And what we're starting to see is we talked about the World Cup founded in, uh, sorry, MLS founded in 95 so like you think about NFL teams, baseball teams, basketball teams, it goes through generations of your yeah, family. Yeah. Right. And you know, if you're a Lakers fan, we are wearing a Lakers shirt right now. Um, your kids will be Lakers fans. Yeah. Your kids will be Lakers fans. Like that's just how it works. Well, we're now, tw- uh, what are we, I'm, I'm struggling on my math here. Second generation, uh, 27, 20, 27 years into MLS. So yeah. Second generation of fans. Now that's getting passed on you know, all the traditions and, and uh, history that goes with that, like that's how it really snowballs and you go to the games and you experience it together. So I, I really believe in that. And you're right. Like the Mexican teams though, they go back hundreds of years. So yeah, that's where there's a lot of passion and a lot of history. And even when you're trying to attract Mexican soccer fans who live in the United States, like, it's hard to get them to root for LAFC when they're like, no, bro, my, my team is Chivas. And yeah. like, I can't support, even though I live in LA, it's not the same because my granddad loved Chivas and his grandpa loved Chivas. Like, that's where that passion and that intensity comes from. And I think when we get to that next point, like we're getting there, you know, we're, we're on the right track. Yeah.
3: All right, Stu Holden, uh, U.S. soccer legend, played internationally. Calls games. Stu, I, I, I don't know how your family's going to take it le- leaving uh, <laughs> around the holidays for the World Cup, but uh, I'm yeah, sure you'll missing... enjoy the weather in Qatar, right?
4: Yeah, weather will be great. It'd be like L.A. mid 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 high seventies. Look the, for me. Well, this, that's not bad. This is what I'm geared up for, man. This is like the World Cup is again our Super Bowl. It's four weeks. It's intense. I think I have one day off in the group stage. We're going to be cranking out games, content studio day and night. And, uh, like when I get to those events, like, you know, you've, you've, you've done it for a long time too. It's, you're just all in, man. You're, you're yeah. fully focused on that every single day. You eat, sleep, drink it. And um, I, I, uh, my adrenaline gets pumping thinking about yeah. it, honestly. Uh, I still
3: get goosebumps for some yeah. of the big games and, and like the big moments, man. Well, thanks a lot for the time. I kept you a little longer than I thought. But, uh, Stu Holden, can't wait to uh, hear you calling the games this, uh, this winter for the Cup.
0: Thanks, Jason. Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere. Like at your pregame barbecue. While you prep your meats,